paint a bit of the context of what's going on in this portion of Second Peter. These are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory And excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort. To supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There's no word like your word. Our prayer is now by the very presence and enablement of your Spirit. We would see wonderful things in your Word. And beholding these wonderful things, you would transform us to embody these truths in our lives this very week. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this summer we're looking at the first 11 verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. In fact, it coincides. This is also our summer scripture memory passage. We're encouraging ourselves to memorize a verse at a time the accumulation of these 11 verses uh, in in 2 Peter. We are taking 11 weeks this summer to take a look at these verses. And this morning, we now locate ourselves in what I think is the the main thrust or the the core of this passage. Verses 5, 6, and 7, which will take seven weeks to to move through. Uh, We we will look at the, the things that we are to supplement or to add to our faith. And the, the first thing that's noted there in the first half of, of 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, uh, make every, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Two things I wanna, want us to kind of consider this morning or think about concerning virtue. There's an outline there in your bulletin if that's helpful to follow along and maybe jot down some notes if that's the kind of thing you'd like to do. But first, there's, we want to consider virtue. 
So, in fact, there's some preliminary things that I'm going to kind of motor us through on this first one in this list of seven things. We're going to consider virtue, and then we'll spend a little bit of time thinking about the cultivation of virtue. Um, so, the, the, our passage this morning in verse 5 starts with kind of a connecting phrase, for this very reason. Now, Peter is linking what he's about to say with what he has just previously said. We've spent the, the first two weeks this summer thinking about verses 1 and 2, that was week 1, and verses 3 and 4, uh, that was uh, week 2. And these first four verses provide us the necessary foundation upon which we are now called to build something, to cultivate something, to, to add something. As we alluded to uh, last week, for this very reason, that, in other words, what he has said in 1 through 4 serve as the, remember, remember the fancy English word we le- learned last week, the indicatives, these, these, these sentences that state what God has done, what God has provided for us. And these indicatives of what he's alluded to and, and taught us in verses 1 through 4, um, they, they make the subsequent imperatives, that is what God has ordered or commanded us to do in verses 5 through 7, uh, doable. Without, without the, the, the indicatives of what God has done in Christ for us. What, did, what, are, what are these indicatives? Well, just quickly in verses 1 and 2, the, the, the starting point is what it consists of to live in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the starting point is not verse 5, make every effort. The starting point of our Christian journey is not the effort that we make. The starting point in our Christian journey is what does it look like to live in relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, to be ever dependent upon him because of who he is and because of what he has done for us at the cross in particular. And then in verses 3 and 4, if the first block is who Christ is and living in relationship with Christ, the second foundational block in verses 3 and 4 is something of the awareness of the divine power and the divine promises that are now ours because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he would say in verses 3 and 4 uh, that we've been given everything we need to live a godly life. That, that, that through the precious promises of God, we become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, God is now living inside of us. And and, and that accounts for how we can exert effort in our growth and spiritual maturity. That accounts for how we can uh, supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness, godliness with brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness with love. In other words, there ought to be something about us and our lives this very week that, that maybe would uh, uh, trigger someone to say, what's up? Is God living inside of you or what? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, through faith in Jesus, 
he is living inside of me. And, that, and, and, and I'm, I'm thankful to God that that's beginning to ooze out and to seep out so that it becomes noticeable. You see, the starting point of our Christian experience is not our effort, but the divine grace of Christ. But having said that, our effort is neither unnecessary or irrelevant. Our effort is the faithful response to divine grace. Our effort is the fruitful evidence of divine grace. So for this very reason, make every effort. There, there is effort in the Christian life. We, we've, we've played around with that notion the, the first two weeks. There's nothing incompatible with the notion that we are saved by grace and not our works. We are, we are saved by, by grace through faith in Christ. There's nothing meritorious that earns us a, a standing before a holy God by our efforts. And yet, that does not mean that we overreach to a conclusion that since our efforts do not earn us merits in our standing before God, that does not imply in any way that effort in the Christian journey is um, unnecessary or irrelevant. I mean, just for the plain reason, so why is Peter wasting our time to say, make every effort if there's no place for effort in the Christian life? Did he have like a brain freeze at that moment? What was he thinking? No, there's nothing incompatible about the, the, the very kindness and mercy of God in Christ that rescues us from our sins and how we live responsively to that grace by the effort. The grace of Christ's power and presence in us is not a nicety, or maybe I should say a mere nicety, that, that lets us, therefore, off the hook so that we could continue in sin and disregard pursuing our spiritual maturity. No, 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 no. It's just the opposite. The grace of Christ, uh, the grace of Christ powerful presence in us is the transformational dynamic that energizes us to turn from our sin time and time and time again and to pursue spiritual maturity again and again and again and again. Apostle Paul said something interesting in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. He said, I toil I work, I labor. And yet he then quickly turns and couples that with, I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works in me. So, so, so which one is it? Uh, does God work powerfully in us or do we work powerfully out of the power that Christ gives us. It's not, it's not an either-or proposition. We, we, we look for a simplistic answer, and, and, and it's not going to be here in this one. God works. We work. We work in the very power. We, we exert effort. The, the gospel of the grace of Christ, in fact, counters 
our spiritual laziness and indifference. Without the grace of Christ, we would just continue on a trajectory of spiritual laziness and indifference. But now, being indwelt by the grace of Christ, that creates in us our spiritual activeness and our spiritual interestedness. We are interested in supplementing our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness with love. We are interested and want to get active in the pursuit of those things. Why? The grace of Christ resides in us. Let me say a few things about the list in general. I know technically I'm just looking at the first part of verse 5. Supplement your faith with virtue. And, and yet, just on the, on the front end of this first one, since we're spending seven weeks in these three verses, let me mention something about the list. There's a list here of, ironically, it's a list of seven virtues. And yet the first thing listed there is the term virtue. And I, I, would, I would suggest to you that, that what he's doing there is that first thing on the list is a kind of a lead statement, a, a summarizing statement, the, the, if you would, the group heading of which all the rest of these fall into place. In other words, uh, what is the pursuit of knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly kindness and love? What are those things? Those are, those are the virtues that he unpacks and unravels by listing the first one, the, the heading of the group, virtue. He starts with faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith which you remember back in verse 1 and 2, faith was a gift to those who, who have received or obtained a faith as precious as ours. And so we've been gifted uh, the ability to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to live in relationship with Christ through faith. And we've been gifted that and, and now starts the journey of cultivating virtues. He starts with faith and the last one on the list, he culminates, it culminates with love. And I think there's an intention and design to the very sequence of the list that he's provided to us. I know that I don't think he just kind of put the names in like a little um, uh, box and shuffled them up or pulled them out randomly. I, I think he was guided by the Spirit of God to list the items he listed and to list them in the order or the sequence that he listed them. So, but it starts with faith and it culminates with love. There's an interesting passage in Galatians 5, 6. First part of this passage I'm going to state to you may not make any sense out of context here. Uh, but he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. In other words, whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, <laughs> it's not an issue. But what counts? It was so, so in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But, but what counts, it says, but only faith working or expressing itself through love. So, so what really matters, Paul says, when you get right down to it, is that we have a faith that shows itself out in how we love others. 
That, 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 that it was our, our vertical relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ gives rise to, the, and it gives effect to our horizontal love for those around us. Now, Peter's list, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, steadfastness, with steadfastness, godliness, with godliness, brotherly kindness. And then he finally gets to the last one, brotherly kindness with, with love. The, the, this, this list, if you would, what, what Peter is doing is he's filling in the, the, the middle, the center of how do we get from faith in Jesus to love for others. How do we get there? We cultivate, we take serious the cultivation of virtue in our lives. The quality of our love for others is conditioned by, it's enhanced by the composition of our virtue. Virtue flows, uh, virtue forms true love. I just love doing pre-marriage counseling with with young couples. I really do. Uh, And one of the first things I always ask them is, um, so why do the two of you want to get married? And then they kind of giggle, they kind of blush, they kind of do kind of all shucks kind of thing. They kind of look each other again and giggle and, and then they say, we're in love with each other. And I think that's so cute. But I think that's so clueless and naive. Now, I'm not opposed to love and marriage, you understand. But but here's two people who have a category or a concept, at least a term, that they call love. and, and, And they think that the kind of love that they currently have, those kind of Woo, feelings. This is going to be great. It's going to be easy, too. Uh, they think that those feelings will, will propel them to a 50, 60, 70, 80 year relationship. What we, what we bring uh, to marital love is probably a rendition of love that is probably in the category of cheap and flimsy and superficial and probational. In other words, what does it take to have a love that is durable? I mean, how's Diane keep loving me when I'm so unlovely? She has a durability of love. It takes a, 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 a love that, that has a, a consistency. It, 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 it takes a, a love that has a whole different set of qualities and dispositions than the flimsy stuff that is often attributed to be this thing called love. You see... In order for love 
to have a real genuine commitment and stick to that puts the interests of the other person above our own interests. We must have a heart that has been at work cultivating virtue in our being. If I'm a huckster and a shyster and I say I love you, you better run. And so there seems to be an important sequence or order to this list here. It starts with faith. It culminates with love. And, 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 and one thing seems to be at least some fragment or some degree of thing needs to be in place before we put another thing atop that. And, and yet what I don't mean by that is we have to completely and totally master the one before we ever graduate and jump up to the next step. First of all, I would never get off the first rung of the ladder if that was the case. Uh, in fact, in fact, there, there is an intermittedness here maybe going on to the degree that I, that I am cultivating and, and mastering and progressing and growing in some of the latter qualities, the later qualities. Uh, I, I, it kind of maybe circles back around and uh, matures and uh, progresses some of the earlier qualities. So there's a, there is a sequence in some way, and yet there's a back and forth in some way. The point is, is that in all of this list, you and I must look at this and regard this and, and maybe understand the degree to which it is sequential, and yet also under, understand the way in which we are to make every effort to cultivate each of these kinds of virtues in our lives. Add to your faith virtue. We're still considering virtue here, this first point. I'm going to probably have to go quicker under the second point. Make every effort. In other words, Peter is saying to us, what, what I'm talking about and the effort that we expend in what I'm talking about is of utmost importance. It deserves utmost effort. And it assumes a notion of utmost urgency. In other words, we, 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 would, we would strategize, we would make plans, and therefore and we would exert effort to implement those plans so that we are a person who is progressing in the cultivation of virtue in our lives. What is the great need of your life this week? And on one hand, we can answer that in a thousand ways that, have, that has something to do with something and nothing to do with anything. And, and, and yet, what I'm saying is that among the list of what do you need, what do we need this week, is we, we need to spend effort cultivating virtue in our lives. Now, different translations would use a different word than virtue. I think virtue is the is the best word. It was, it's probably the most. It's probably the word that would be most commonly used, even in the very day that Peter wrote this. As the the word virtue has a rich heritage in in Greek thought. 
really reflects the notion of moral excellencies, of moral goodness, the, the, the moral strength of a person's character. And there's a complexity with the moral strength of a person's ca- character. There's, there's, it's a many-sided notion. Uh, and, 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 but even in its own day and age, the great philosophers such as Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, they, they, they wrote and argued for the case that the truly happy life is a life that is cultivating virtue. You, you, you and I will never be happy, in other words, unless we pursue not happiness, but the cultivation of virtue. Happiness is an aftermath, a, a consequence of pursuing a, a, a bigger thing, and that is the cultivation of virtue in our lives. For, for Aristotle, uh, the virtues that he held up the highest were virtues such as courage and justice and prudence and temperance. And yet the New Testament overlaps that some, and yet the New Testament adds other things, such as the very list that we have here, which I take this to be an exhaustive list for, for the concerns that Peter is bringing to us, but it's not meant to be a comprehensive list. There are other virtue lists in the New Testament. In addition to the ones listed here, we would be mindful to cultivate the virtues of humility and contentment and forgiveness and patience. You see, virtue speaks to the heart of the kind of person that we are seeking to become. And two things I would say about taking seriously the cultivation of virtue in our lives. First, taking seriously the cultivation of virtue in our lives should be an assurance that our life is on a trajectory that is pleasing to God. If we want God's smile upon us, if you would, then figure out what does a virtuous life consist of and how can I cultivate those virtues in my life. But I would say a second component to this. Pursuing a virtuous life, cultivating virtue in our lives is is the single most important factor to our future as human beings. In other words, the most determinative factor to your and my, what do we want to call it? To your and my happiness or success or fulfillment in in life is what is the status of the cultivation of virtue and virtues in our lives. Now, our culture gives an entirely different answer to this. Our culture is trying to suggest to us that the key to a fulfilling, happy, successful life is found in the rearrangement of external factors in one's life. In other words, if, if you're poor, you ain't got a chance to be happy, successful, or unfulfilled. 
and, 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 and probably because you're poor, uh, you're oppressed. Uh, and, 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 and if you're oppressed, you don't have a chance to be happy, successful, or fulfilled in life. And, 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 and so a third party has to figure out a way to get you out of poverty and to get you out of your oppression, to give you some sort of a special rank and special favor and special savings account. And then, and then you will be on the... It doesn't stand up. That, that first of all, that's just a simplistic answer. Even if we could figure out a way so that you and I never experienced any sort of oppressive difficulties in life, even if we could figure out a way for you to win the Powerball and, and get eight million dollars tomorrow afternoon. Remember your pastor when you do that. But uh, no, don't just forget about me. But even with your special bank account, your special favor, and your elevated social status and rank, if you and I do not have virtue of character, we will ruin our favor, we will ruin our bank account, and we will ruin our special status. You see, the biggest factor in your success, my success, our happiness, our fulfillment, our living a life before the face of God that's pleasing to him is you and I living a life that takes serious. The serious most single factor in my life is what kind of person am I becoming? What's the strength of my moral character? How virtuous am I becoming in this? In spite of my poverty, in spite of my life's difficulties, in spite of the, how someone's picking on me or the hardships that, that I might walk through in life. And I say that to say as we're raising our children and our grandchildren, the single biggest factor in their future is we are taking serious the need for them to come to faith in Jesus and then as they come to faith in Jesus to teach them what it looks like to now supplement their faith with virtue. Cultivating virtue. We're quickly. In a, in a culture that suffers from arrested moral development. In a culture that, that celebrates um, adolescentification. In, in, a, in a culture that celebrates the retention of immaturity, that extols the virtue of lacking traits of virtue, we would need to walk differently. We would need to cultivate virtues in our lives, virtues such as knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. Now, now these are these what we call virtues are are deeper than simply the the particular choices or the particular behaviors of our lives. They, uh, virtues really are about who we are. 
and, and, yet, and yet our choices and our behaviors both reflect our character and our choices and our behaviors develop and reinforce our character. In other words, how do we become a truthful person? That, that, that we have the virtue of truthfulness and honesty in our lives. Well, we, we do that by beginning to practice in small steps, baby steps, what it looks like to tell the truth in situations. So on the one hand, we would certainly obey the rule to tell the truth. And yet, why would we make up such a rule to tell the truth? Because the real goal is not simply someone who's compliant with the rules, but someone whose very being is honest. So the practicing of choices and decisions that result in habits. Now I say this because if you read Aristotle, if you read the philosophers, they go big on the notion of virtue is developed through habituation, through habits. And that is certainly true. And yet, and yet this is where the Christian gospel is distinct from that. The Christian gospel says that the cause of our virtue is divine grace. The means through which we cultivate virtue is good godly habits. The cause of our virtue is not godly habits. Grace is the cause. Godly habits are the means. The means which promote the character traits that are considered virtuous. And so therefore, we're not talking about something that's going to get wrapped up by this afternoon. Hey, we're going to do after church. After church, I'm going to become a virtuous person. Well, God, is there a pill for that? Uh, I mean, there seems to be one for everything else. I mean, uh, no, this afternoon we say, what, what choices and decisions can I make and begin to habituate myself in those choices and decisions that reflect divine grace, that reinforce my character and that develop me into being even more virtuous in my character. And so it's baby steps over a long distance run. On January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549, piloted by Chester Sullenberger III, shortly after takeoff from an airport in New York, uh, he had complete engine power failure. He had just moments to, to make a thousand important decisions as to what to do. He chose to land the plane in the Hudson River. It's called the miracle on the Hudson. And not to take anything away from God's kindness to preserve 155 souls, not to take anything away from that, I would suggest to you that, 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 that on a human level, uh, Sully's choices were the result of the virtue and character of his life, the result of thousands, tens of thousands of hours of training, the results of, 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 a, of, a, of a, a, a host of, of proper habits that he had trained himself to instinctively, almost if you would, they became his second nature, to use that term, fostered by the very habits of his life, his ability to act in the moment, to make 
a, a dozen important life-altering decisions in the in a split second. It, it, it was stems from the kind of person that he was, how he had trained himself to, in an emergency like that, to know how to react well in the moment because of the work that he had done leading up to that moment. You and I are on a long-term trajectory of people who, as we name the name of Jesus, we now take the faith that we have in Jesus and we supplement that with virtue. And this is not us flying on our own. This is the very one who it says in, in verse uh, 3, Jesus is the one who has called us to his own glory and excellence. But remember, it's the same word as virtue. The very one who called us to belong to himself is the same one who is gloriously virtue. In relationship with Jesus, in relationship to the one who is gloriously virtuous, we are called to cultivate our lives so that we grow and progress to become virtuous in our being. Father, help us. Help us to take what you've told us in your word this morning and to use that well in our lives. May that begin to chip away at false notions and may it begin to create new desires and interests in us so that we wrestle with what does it look like to be virtuous. What does it look like to cultivate virtue? May we honor you. May we glorify you. May the one who is gloriously virtuous evidence his presence in our lives by our interest in pursuing virtue. For we pray these things in Christ's name.